glad you made it here this morning. I know a lot are out of town. Some are away on a retreat. We're glad that you are here. After the second service today, we're going to have a membership class. If you are attending here and you have been for, you know, you plan to be here for a year or two or six months, we're going to encourage you to consider joining the church. Uh, That's going to be after the second service. You can go down to the office. We'll have lunch provided for you. All the details are in your bulletin. If you want to come to that, we encourage you to be part of uh, joining this church. All right. Let me explain a little bit about what we are going to do over the next six weeks. We finished up Matthew, which we were in for uh, a year and a half, and you're kind of wondering what's going on next. Well, I am in the process of finishing up a degree at Trinity. And uh, the, the final piece of my degree is something called a major project. I guess for those of you who are working on degrees, you might call it a, a dissertation of sorts. And the emphasis of my degree is in preaching. And since that is the case, the major project had to be on preaching. And I thought, you know, I want to pick something in the Bible that I really don't understand very well. That's really challenging. And so I debated and prayed for a long time. I mean, you just think, what are the most difficult books in the Bible? Well, Revelation. Well, that's a, that's a hard one. I don't really, that, what's going on there? And as I was considering the Old Testament, I thought, Proverbs. Man, that, that book's a mess. That book's all over the place. And so I was praying about the two. And so I, I finally decided, hey, we're going to do Proverbs. And so I'm, I've been working on Proverbs for a while. And so over the next six weeks, by God's grace... We are going to take Proverbs for a test run, okay? Are you okay with that? We're going to do it for six weeks, and the goal is in the fall, we're going to do the whole book starting in the fall. But right now, it's a six-week test run, and I, I know you're um, a great congregation because this is going to be challenging for me, but you're gracious, you're patient. I know you guys. You'll hang in there. And I also have about 11 people in here today who are, are, are going to help me walk through this book. They're going to help me with some feedback, and I'm really appreciative of them. So we're going to be bouncing all over Proverbs over the next six weeks, trying out some different passages and trying to see how they work and how they fit into the book as a whole. So this morning, we're going to start by looking at only one sentence. So let's turn to Proverbs chapter 2. See if you can even find Proverbs in your Bible. It is after the book of Psalms. If you can't find it, look it up in the table of contents. But we're in Proverbs chapter 2, and in the Hebrew language... Chapter 2 of Proverbs is one long sentence, the whole chapter, one long sentence. So what we're going to do is we're going to stand and we're going to read it. Proverbs 2, starting in verse 1, I'm going to read it to you. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. 
delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. You may be seated. Chapter 2 is part of a nine-chapter introduction. How about that? A nine-chapter introduction in the book of Proverbs that introduces all those one-liners that you're familiar with that pretty much happen after chapter 10 on. And the primary author of these Proverbs is King Solomon. And one night in a dream, the Lord came to Solomon. Maybe this is a familiar story to you. Uh, The Lord appears to Solomon and says, okay, one thing, what do you want me to do for you? And Solomon, rather than asking that all his enemies be conquered, and rather than asking that he would have a significant amount of riches, Solomon asked for wisdom. And you kind of want to say, what are you talking about, Solomon? You have the law of God. (laughs) What else do you need? You have the rules, you have the Ten Commandments, plus, why do you need wisdom? And I think he asked for wisdom because, you know, the rules don't always cover the the vast amount of decisions that you and I have to make all the time. I mean, just for example, I mean, who who should you marry? What, What kind of job should you take? What should your career be? Should you move? Should you stay? Should you take the risk? Should you not take the risk? Should you buy that or buy this? Should you invest in this person and stop investing in this person? We, we have decisions that we're making all the time, and, and a lot of the, the, whatever decision you make, it's going to be moral. But it might not be the best decision, even though it's moral. But, but even when the commands come into play, and you have the rules, and you follow the rules, did you know that you can follow the rules, and if you don't have wisdom, you're just going to make a mess? I mean, a lot of you have a heart for compassion, right? You, you really have compassion on those who are suffering, those who are, who are poor and don't have much. Did you know if you have compassion without wisdom, you could actually be hurting people? There's a whole book written about that called When Helping Hurts. So you can have compassion, but without combined with wisdom, you can hurt others. And also, just think about the idea of evangelistic zeal. Some of you are so zealous to share the gospel, but if it's not combined with wisdom, you can end up bashing the people with truth. And let's say you, you actually love someone else, all right? Take the example of love. You love someone, you're in love with them. The Bible is all about love. 1 Corinthians 13, love. But if you, did you know that you can love someone, but if you love them without wisdom, you, you may avoid hard topics. 
You may never bring up issues that you need to deal with. So love without wisdom, you know, it, it can be disaster as well. So we can have all the rules, we can have the right motives, we can have the commands, but without wisdom, we can make a mess. We need wisdom. So let me just give you a a definition of wisdom. It's a working definition. It's still in progress. It's what I've come up with. We'll see if this works. All right, here we go. Let me give a definition of wisdom. Wisdom is the God-given competence to navigate through the details of life for the glory of God. I'm going to leave that up there for a while. Wisdom is the God-given competence to navigate through the details of life for the glory of God. Now, as I said, I'm working on a degree, and since this is an advanced degree, I actually have hand motions to go along with this definition. I don't know what your degree is doing for you, but I have hand motions. Here we go. So wisdom is, is, is from God. It's God-given. It comes down from God And he gives it to us to navigate the details of life with competence in order that we give glory to God. It's like this. I know, it's really difficult. But that's what it is. Now, let me me just continue to leave that up there and kind of give you some biblical rationale for this definition. Wisdom actually can be interpreted as skill. Skill. We think of the idea of, uh, we could use the word competence. And this word skill, it's connected in in the Bible, is used in different places. For example, the book of Exodus talks about the skill of uh, weavers. They have the competence to to weave, or craftsmen. And it's also talked about in Psalm 107, the skill of sailors how sailors navigate the rough seas. And and the word skill is also used in 1 Kings to talk about the skill of a ruler or or a judge trying to make a judgment by sorting out through all the details of life. So you kind of put it all together, and what we need is, is this competence. We need this skill to navigate all these details of life that really, they just get thrown at us throughout the day. And we, we like, what should we do? We need wisdom. And we get this wisdom. And then what we do is we navigate. We want to make these decisions and give all glory back to God. But get this. And here's the troubling thing. And the, and the, the thing maybe I'm trying to get you to understand today is that this wisdom is not inherent within you. It's not within you. It has to come from outside of you. It's not like you're just born and bam, you're wise. <laughs> That's not the way it works. Because wisdom only comes from God. And only God gives it. And God only gives wisdom to those who seek it. And that's where we begin this morning with the seeking of wisdom. So let's go ahead and jump into Proverbs chapter 2. and Look at the process of seeking wisdom. Verse 1, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Let's just stop there, okay? So we have have a dad, we have a father, and he is addressing his young son. And as Solomon, King Solomon, he's the inspired author of God's word. He is encouraging his son 
to treasure up his words and commands, which ultimately come from God. So the father is trying to instruct his son to walk in the path of wisdom and away from the path of foolishness. And as we go through this chapter, we're going to see that he's going to exhort his son in verses 1 through 5 to seek wisdom. And then in verses 6 through 10, it's going to show us that God is the only one who gives wisdom. And then in verses 11 through 22, he's going to say that God and his wisdom will protect him from easy money and easy sex. You see, this, this book is for, for, for young people. It's for the young man. That's kind of the audience it's directed at. And as a teenager, this youth or this young man, as many teenagers, have this, this new heightened awareness for money and sex. It's just, just, it's just new to them. It's also new, and the teenagers and the youth are vulnerable, and they have these competing voices of wicked men trying to lead them to pursue easy money, and they have these voices of wicked women trying to have them pursue easy sex, and they're vulnerable, and they're impressionable. And, and right now, as the son is being instructed, he could go either way. I mean, that's... That's a story of our lives, right? We could go either way. And I know that some of you are not teenagers, as I look out right now. Most of you are not teenagers. And, and, but the, the reality is some of you feel like your life right now, you could go either way. It's kind of dicey. You're, you're having these feelings. You're having these emotions. And you're, and, and you're, you're, you're wondering if you're about to you know, you fall off and fall on the Lord here. Perhaps you could go either way. And, and I think it's why it's important that you seek wisdom. All right, let's jump back in. Now, I want you to notice this is a, a if-then statement. If you look in verse 1 again, uh, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures. It's like... You've got to be so aggressive in seeking wisdom. It's like you just want to raise your voice and say, give me wisdom. Give me understanding. And like you go on a treasure hunt looking for silver or, or hidden treasure. This, this search, you know, it's, it's basically saying that within me, inside of me, is this deep inner lacking that says I am desperate for wisdom. I do not I don't have it within me. I need it to come from the outside of me, in me. I mean, you may, you may have um, watched way too many Disney movies that tell you to trust your heart. Not a good idea. We need wisdom to come from the outside of us, inside of us, rather than saying we are always just wise on our own. We don't need anything. We got this. We're a competent lot. No, 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 no. We need wisdom from God. So how do we seek wisdom from the outside of us? Well, maybe you've, you've, you've heard this. We seek wisdom primarily through God's word. We seek wisdom through praying and asking God for wisdom. And we seek wisdom through godly counselors. So let, let's just kind of do this. Let's, let's take a subject and work it through. Take the subject of who you should marry. Who should you marry? You're like, that's a good question. I'd like to know that. Tell me who it is. Uh, who should you marry? All right. If you're a Christian, we know from God's word that you should not marry a non-Christian. So if you're dating a non-Christian, 
don't tell me you need to pray about it and ask God if it's okay. No, I can answer it for you. God's word, not a good idea. Do not do it, all right? So God's word's pretty clear on that. Do not marry a non-Christian, all right? But, but let's just say you're dating a Christian and you want to, to marry. And you're thinking, you're, you're wondering, is it wise for me to marry this Christian? And, and this is when, when, I, when I was considering asking my wife to marry me, I was freaking out. I mean, I was not fun to be around because my parents got divorced and I was so scared of getting divorced. And so I was like crying out to God in prayer, Lord, give me wisdom. Should I marry this woman? <laughs> and and it, it was an anguish time in my life. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a verse in James chapter 1 verse 5 where the one suffering who needs wisdom to navigate life says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without approach, and it will be given him. So that's what I was doing. I was getting with my friend, and we were praying. I felt like we were praying for hours. Lord, give me wisdom. And then what, what else I would do, I started going around talking to my friends and her friends. I was seeking out godly counselors. I was saying, hey, do you think I should marry this girl? What do you think? Do you think we would be a good fit? And, so, and I was seeking out wisdom because this is a big decision. I needed wisdom from outside of me, from godly people who could say, yeah, that, that, that's, that seems like a good idea. But here's what happened. This is what happens. Sometimes you want to make a decision and your heart is so set on it that you don't want to examine the word, you don't want to pray about it, and you don't want to ask other people's opinion. You ever get like that? You want to do what you want to do. And so you don't really care input from the outside, right? You just, your heart's set on doing it. And I just want to say, that, that is a recipe for disaster. And, and I feel like most of the counseling that happens within the church is because of decisions people made without seeking any wisdom. They just, just jumped right in because their heart was so set on it. They just felt like they had to do this, and it was just a disaster. We want to be those who seek wisdom through his word, through prayer, and other godly counselors. But what I'm about to tell you is so exciting. You have a bonus benefit that Old Testament wisdom seekers did not have. You have a bonus benefit that other wisdom seekers in the Old Testament did not have. We have the privilege beyond them, as we are told from 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 24. Let me put this up for you. That Jesus is the wisdom of God. It says, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So we, we know that we have someone actually wiser than Solomon who has come on the scene. It tells us in Luke eleven thirty one, the word of God says, the queen, this is what Jesus says. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So in our search for wisdom, we go to the word, we go to prayer, we go to the counselors. But we seek Jesus Christ, the very wisdom of God that has come down in the flesh. And those who seek wisdom in this way will find God. Look at verse 5. 
then. This is the second part. If then statement. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. The fear of the Lord is a motto in this book. It's the central characteristic of godly wisdom. And if you, you probably grew up hearing that phrase, you're like, what does the fear of the Lord mean? Well, it, it, it's like, its meaning has a combination. It's a combination of terror and awe combined with obedience dependence. So the fear of the Lord is terror and awe combined with obedience and dependence. It's like those who seek wisdom start to understand that their life is to be lived in total dependence upon the Lord, the, the, the creator, the savior, that we know nothing outside of God who deserves all of our reverence and obedience. Think back to the calling of the apostle Peter. All right, Peter was on a boat with his fishing uh, uh, buddies, businessmen, James and John, and they're on this boat. Jesus gets into the boat. Jesus says, all right, let's go out there. And he says, then Jesus says, let down your net. This is Peter just interacting with Christ. Let down your net. And do you remember? They started catching all these fish that the nets started to break. And now Peter doesn't go, awesome, we have all these fish. This is so cool. The Bible tells us in Luke 5, 8, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. There's the fear of the Lord. And what did Jesus tell him? Jesus said, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to fish for men. And then you know what Peter did next? He sold everything and he followed Jesus. Now, that is the fear of the Lord. You realize, okay, in my relationship with God, I am sinful. He is separate from me. I am dependent upon him, and yet he's calling me to him. It's his fear, terror, awe, and yet I totally abandon everything, and I follow him in obedience. That is the fear of the Lord. So as we seek wisdom, we get God. And as we get God, God gives wisdom. As we continue on, verse 6, God giving wisdom in verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So God is going to give wisdom to those who diligently seek it. And you're thinking, well, isn't effort involved? That, that seems like a work. No, it's not work. We just pursue wisdom. And by grace, he gives us wisdom. And this wisdom comes from his mouth. You can know the wisdom of God from revelation, what he has revealed in his word. Yes, through the law. Yes, through the commands. But also through books like Proverbs. God has revealed how his world works. He knows how things work. He knows how you should act. And he knows what should be going on inside. And that's why he gives wisdom in his word. But some of you may be frustrated with God and say, that's fine, God. You're up there I'm down here where life really happens. So that's fine. You just keep on passing down wisdom and the decrees, but you don't really know what it's like to live down here. Not so fast. He sent his son, Jesus. And as Jesus journeyed through this life, he experienced trials, he experienced temptations, he experienced struggles and sufferings, a lot of what you experience on a day-to-day basis. And as Jesus walked around and he saw what people were dealing with, he started to speak, and he spoke as a wisdom teacher. 
He spoke as a wisdom teacher greater than Solomon. In fact, from one of his greatest sermons that we know of, the Sermon on the Mount, at the very end, he said, these are very familiar words of the great wisdom teacher Jesus. He says, everyone who, who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them in practice is like a foolish man that built his house on the sand. And then the rains came down and one house stood and the other did not. Jesus spoke as a wisdom teacher. He journeyed the paths that we travel and he gave wisdom to us as we journey our paths. And God continues to give wisdom to us as we journey these paths in life. I want to show you these paths. Look at verse 7. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. What makes a path a path? A path is a path because it is walked on over and over again. And when it talks about a path here, it actually has the idea of a rut or a track. You can think about a a wagon wheel or a wheel of a cart. As it goes over the the dirt or the mud over and over again, it's, it's creating tracks it's, it's creating ruts. And we want to be those who create these paths, these tracks, these ruts of uprightness, as the passage tells us. We want to be those who walk in integrity. We want to be creating paths of justice. We want to understand righteousness and justice where we are walking on these God-honoring paths of holiness while at the same time serving other people who are suffering. What the Bible's talking about when it talks about paths, it's talking about character. It's talking about your heart. It's talking about your walk with the Lord. It's talking about your integrity. And we're talking about character formation. Your small, everyday decisions are creating paths, ruts, tracks. Your decision today could impact how you're going to be five years from now. These little small decisions you're making every day. I heard a story uh, this week by a pastor who was telling about this guy who was in jail. And so this guy was being interviewed by a reporter while he was in jail. He's reflecting on his life, and he tells a story. He says, when I was young, I went into my father's room, and I got his gold watch, and I was playing around with this gold watch. And as I was playing around with this watch, I dropped it, and it broke. And my father found it. It was his favorite watch, and he was devastated. So he, he gathered the whole family, and he said, who, who broke my watch? Now, this, this young boy had a habit of covering up his mistakes and his faults. And so he said nothing. And he continued on with this habit throughout his life. When something would go wrong or he would make a mistake, he would just totally cover it up. So one night when he was older, he was driving in his car. and It was dark. He couldn't see very well. And he ended up hitting a little kid. What did he do? Didn't stop. Just drove on. Just covered up. And eventually they connected him with that hit and run, and he got put in jail. And while he was in jail, he said, you know what? I'm not here because I hit this kid. 
I'm here because when I was a little boy, I started making these decisions of covering up. And I kept that pattern throughout my life. And that's why I'm in jail. I, I, don't, I don't think you understand. Your small decisions every day are creating tracks, are creating these ruts that you're going to walk on, these paths that you're going to walk on. And, and I'm, I'm wondering, what are you going to be like five years from now? And a lot of that is going to be determined by the small, everyday decisions that you make all the time. As Christians, we like to think that the Christian life is one radical obedience to the next radical obedience to the next radical obedience. We're just always trying to be so radical from one obedience to the next. And the reality is, the Christian life is is really not like that on a daily basis. The Christian life is more what one has called a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. Where you're creating tracks ruts, these paths that you're walking on on a daily basis. And I know you guys are looking for all the huge, radical, cool, big stuff, but but don't overlook daily time with the Lord in prayer and in his word. That's a track you're creating. Don't overlook these daily small decisions of integrity and honesty at work. Those are tracks you are creating. And, and, And don't downplay these small little things of compassion, servanthood that you're doing around home because you're creating tracks. You're creating paths of integrity. And as you walk along these paths of integrity, God is saying he's going to protect us. He protects us by giving us truth. He protects us by being our shield, our guard. He watches over our path. He, he gives our heart wisdom so we can, we can say no to certain things when they come up. It's because we're creating these paths and these tracks that we're walking on. And as we walk on these, we'll be protected from God. And Now, let, let's kind of get really specific on, on God's protection as we finish up the passage. We're getting to God's protection from easy money and easy sex. Verse 12. Delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, Men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So the path, the track, the rut these men are on, it's told, we're told that it's crooked. It's the way of evil. It's the way of darkness. And, and their character is seen in perverted speech. And they rejoice in doing evil and delight in perverseness of evil. But you know what? They were not always like this. Look at verse 13. It says, that they are those who forsake the past. They forsake the past of uprightness to walk in the way of darkness. It's telling, they used to walk in faithfulness to God. And his, his commands in the word, we, we, I guess we could say he, they, they grew up in a Christian home, as we would say, but they have forsaken these paths and these tracks. And I think if these men have done it, so can you. And we are told in chapter 1, and we're not going to get into all the details, but we're told in chapter 1 that these men are set on pursuing easy money. I'm going to just quote to you. I'll put up on the screen uh, chapter 1. The images of them coming to this young man in chapter 1, verse 11 and 13 and 14. Look what they say. Come with us. 
Let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. I mean, who, who talks like that? <laughs> they, they sound like the mob or, or old school gangsters. You couldn't imagine someone actually saying that and trying to draw you in to, to easy money. But even though you don't have people talking like that in your life, we all have these, these uh, mobsters in our lives, these influences we have, maybe from people we know or we don't know, these influences from the world. And all of us have these temptations from time to time to pursue easy money. And, and I'm just wondering, for those of you who are, who are in school, did you choose your major because that's where the, the significant cash flow is going to come in the future? Or did you choose your major because you actually feel called to do that? And for, for those of us who are, are older and trying to make decisions on investing, I mean, sometimes are you led away into risky investments, questionable things, just because you want to be secure in life? And just, you just think about the easy money of, of credit cards where you can have a credit line that is humongous and you can just rack up the debt because of easy money. And even some of you are cranking out the hours, ignoring your family. You're ignoring the simple life because you're pursuing easy money. And you know what makes money sometimes seem so easy? It's because other people are pursuing it. And they come up to you and they say, it's easy. So easy. All you have to do is this. And that's why we want to be trained from God's word to avoid easy money. But some of you weren't trained that way. And some of you maybe were trained that way and you totally ignored it. And now you find yourself in the trap of easy money. What do you do? We'll come to that in a minute. But let's look at the, the idea of easy sex. Verse 16. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman... From the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. This woman is called the forbidden woman. If you look at the ESV footnote down below, it says she's called the strange woman. She's also called an adulteress. If you look at the footnote, she's also called a foreign woman. You're like, what, was she from outside of Israel? No, no, she's not from outside of Israel. She's not a foreigner in that sense. She's a foreigner in the sense that she forsakes the ways of the Lord, and that makes her strange. It's totally opposite of what we say in our culture. Like if a woman in our culture is pure and wants to walk in holiness, she's considered strange, right? But the Word of God is saying, no, no, this woman, she's the strange woman. She used to be married, but... Now she's broken her wedding vows. She's turned away from the covenant with her husband and the covenant with her God. And so those who pursue her are doomed. Look at verse 18. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So here's the picture. The picture is this, this young man. I guess he's going to be getting a little bit older. It's this young youth. He, he's, he's hooking up with this, this woman for easy sex, and he is being dragged down to the grave. 
and her tracks and her path lead to the slow sink of the grave in death. This, this youth has been swallowed up by immorality and he has no desire to go back to the paths of righteousness. Now, I've, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of listening to Christian rap and one of my favorite artists is Lecrae. And he has this song called Killa. Now, I'll interpret that for you. Killer, all right? Killa. I want to put some words up for you. He's, and, and, and just know that the words, uh, not in parentheses, are the words of the adulteress trying to lure him to adultery. She says, baby, this is innocent. Killa. That's what should be coming in your head when you hear that. It won't even hurt a little bit. Killa. I'm only here for your benefit. Killa. I'm your every wish. Killa. And it won't even hurt a little bit. Killa. Close your eyes and let's get lost tonight. Killa. Would, would it be all right? You'll see. Killa. It's like when you see this perversion being offered and how enticing it may seem, it drags down to death, to the grave, to the departed. And you know, we, we live in such a culture of easy sex. And for the most part, you know, you can have your wildest dreams and all your perversions satisfied. And, and often with, with the Christian folk in here, it's like, you know, it's not, it's not appropriate to do that with, with someone else, like kind of the hookup culture. I mean, maybe some of you are in the hookup culture. But, but what, what, what Christians try to do, they try to, they try to hide this stuff. <laughs> they get involved in these perversions. And, and I just want to say, if you're, if you're hiding that stuff, you're creating tracks. You're creating paths that are just going to go to destruction. I mean, if, if, you, if you're a guy looking, looking at porn, you're just creating tracks. You're creating paths to the grave. And maybe you're a girl looking at porn. Maybe, maybe you're a girl that's, that's consumed with these Romanica novels like Fifty Shades of Grey, and you read it on your Kindle. You don't think anybody knows what you're doing. You're just, you're just creating paths. You're creating tracks down to the grave. And you, you may be stuck there. You think, well, no one warned me, or I was warned, I ignored, and now I'm stuck. I don't know how to get out. And, and what if you're stuck? What if you're stuck in immorality? What if you're stuck with, with just easy money that has sucked you in, or you're stuck with something else? Like, what are you supposed to do? How do you get out of that? And I think the answer is this. You look to someone else who's created a different track. You look to someone else who's created a different path. You look to someone else who's created a different way. Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the track, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, when we, we trust in Christ, we realize that the paths and the tracks that we've been on they're messed up, and they're sinful. And before a holy God, our tracks are not going to get to him where we can stay with him. We'll be cast out of his presence. But Jesus created this perfect track, this perfect path to the Father through his, his holy, perfect life and sacrifice on the cross. And Jesus says, come on, come to me, and I will give you forgiveness and acceptance by the Father. Come on my path, my track, my way. And as we are believers, 
We repent. We say, Jesus, forgive me for my wicked tracks and past. I want to follow you. Please forgive me. And as we follow Jesus, get this, we start to create our own little, I guess, personal tracks and paths of holiness, which is one decision with the next decision and the next decision. We're creating new tracks. We have this freedom to walk away from sin and walk in these good works he's destined us for. And so if you're stuck in easy money, what do you do? Well, you start to say, you know, I have all I need in Christ. And you start to store up treasures in heaven. You start to deny yourself. You start to live a simple life. You start to be generous. You start to create new tracks. You may not think it's significant that you didn't charge something on the credit card. You may not think it's significant that you give money in the offering plate. You may not think those things are significant, but you're creating tracks. You're creating patterns that are happening every day. And if you find yourself stuck in immorality, stuck in sin of sex, easy sex, well, you start to get honest. If you're, if you're married, you, you, just, you out yourself to your spouse. You out yourself to your friends. And you start to create tracks of faithfulness within marriage. And if you're single, you, you, you say, you know what? You just bring others in. You say, look, I'm stuck. I'm in a path, a rut, a track I do not want to be in. And you out yourself as well. And you start to create patterns of personal holiness where you honor your brothers and sisters and you walk with integrity because you know what's going to happen. I'm telling you, if you're not creating these deep tracks and ruts, these offers for easy money and easy sex are going to keep coming. They're going to come the rest of your life. And they're going to be so enticing. But if you have these deep ruts and tracks and paths, these habits that you've created in Christ and his wisdom over the years, though it's enticing, you're like, no, that's not on my path. I'm walking this path right here with God and his wisdom. And get this. These paths that you're on, these tracks that you're on, They go on into eternity. Let's finish up. These divergent paths go on into eternity. Verse 20. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inherit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Now, just kind of uh, get your Old Testament mindset here. The, the land was a place of blessing for God's people under his rule and reign. And, and these, these paths of wisdom led to blessing in the land, but the land was also foreshadowing. It was, it was pointing to a future blessing of eternity with the Lord. So those who are on the path of wisdom with the Lord will be with him forever in eternity. But the foolishness, those who are walking on the paths of foolishness, rejecting the Lord and his wisdom, those paths will continue to destruction. And I just want to say, whatever path you're on, the paths continue. They continue on into eternity. It doesn't mean that while we're on the path of life with Christ, we're not going to struggle and we're not going to fight. But that is totally different than being on the path of sin where there is no struggle, where there is no fight, where there's a total rejection of God and his wisdom and his ways. 
And so we finish with the words of Jesus, who also spoke about two paths. In Matthew 7, 13 and 14, Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So whatever path you're on, it will continue on into eternity. Those who reject the wisdom of God, those who reject his wisdom in Jesus Christ are on the broad path of destruction. But those who embrace the wisdom of God and the grace in our Lord Jesus Christ are on the narrow path of eternal life. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have made a way to the Father for our forgiveness through your cross. We could never get to the Father on our own as sinful human beings. And yet you've given us wisdom outside of us, transcendent wisdom, the wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ who came down, lived the life that we could not live, walked perfectly on the path that we could not walk, and provided a way through his cross and resurrection. And may we look to the wisdom that you've sent, Lord, Jesus, and embrace him and turn from our wicked paths. And I ask that you would just grant us a heart of repentance where we can start repenting and trusting you for the ability to step off the paths of wickedness and to start making these, these daily decisions, these daily habits of walking with you. Because we love you. We want to glorify you. We praise you for making a way that will last now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.